Good morning. Who enjoyed Easter Sunday last week? Who was here? It was great, wasn't it? it just, I thought it was fantastic to focus on the amazing truth that Jesus had defeated death and the result of that was um, so important to us as Christians. I thought it was a great morning. And let me tell you, this morning is going to be similar to last week, okay? Because this morning we're celebrating another resurrection, okay? Because some of you, if you were listening carefully last week, you'll know that five times during this sermon, Raj told us that he was finishing the John Sermon series last Sunday, okay? Five times I counted it, okay? But I've got some great news for you, okay? That was either good news for you, if you've not enjoyed John, and you thought, I'm ready to, you know, move on from this, or that was terrible news if you've loved going through the book of John and you want to continue it, you know, for a little bit longer. So if you were sad at Raj's words about this series ending, the fantastic news is that John has come back from the dead. The resurrection of the John Sermon series is here. We've got one more talk this morning on the book of John, okay? And we're going to be looking at the final chapter of the book of John, chapter 21. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning or scrolling to there now. Okay, because what we have here is a story that a lot of people, including Raj, forget when it comes to John's gospel, okay? See, we have one more miracle taking place, and it's an amazing story that we can learn so much from. All right, let me just give you a bit of background to John 21, okay? So as I was studying this week, um, it came apparent that certain scholars would argue that this chapter might have been added a little bit later than the rest of the book of John, okay? There's absolutely no doubt that it was written by the same author, all right? There's absolutely no doubt that it's the same narrative, same author, but there is some evidence to suggest it might have been added a couple of years later, all right? Um, It's important to say, though, if it was added later, it was only a few years after, okay? A lot of the early manuscripts do have this last chapter in there, all right? But uh, it's not massively important to worry about, but I just thought it was interesting. It's good to learn something new, isn't it, when we uh, we come to church, okay? Um, So where have we got to in the story? Well, as we heard last week on that glorious first Easter Sunday, Jesus had risen from the dead, He first appeared to Mary Magdalene and then appeared to the other disciples. And what we've got here in John 21 is a bit of a strange story where some of the disciples head back to Galilee, where they came from originally, and start fishing. Okay? And I'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later, but let's just turn to John 21 and read, starting from verse 1. Okay, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment round him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about 100 metres When they landed, they saw a fire burning with coals there, with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter 
climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was so, uh, it was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many in the net, it was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord's. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Okay. So, interesting story there. Before we get onto the passage, all right, I've just got something I need to get off my chest. Okay. Um, can you guys help me with that? We need to do a little bit of healing this morning. Okay. Um, so it struck me this week as I was studying for this sermon that 2019 marks 10 years since I left Sixth Form College. Okay. I feel so old. 10 years since I left Sixth Form College. And that in itself is sad. It makes me feel old. But its significance to me remembering leaving Sixth Form 10 years ago is having to relive the trauma of my last afternoon at Carmel Sixth Form in Darlington. Okay. So I was hoping that this afternoon or this morning you'd be able to help me get through that trauma. I've been carrying it with me for 10 years, all right? And I want to finally get it off my chest. Is that all right? Can you help me? We're a body, aren't we? We're a family here. You've got to help me get this off my, my chest, okay? Because a problem shared is a problem halved, right? Okay, let me tell you the story. So Mastic's form had this amazing idea that they would present each of us with a yearbook on the last day of college, a little bit like they do in America, all right? And this yearbook would have a quote from each student alongside their picture. And the idea was that you could write lovely messages and sign each other's yearbooks as a way of remembering the people who were in your class. Okay? Great idea. And I was quite excited about it. I was quite excited because I love little things like this. I love, you know, looking back on, on years to come. So I got my book in front of me and I, and I opened it and it was a beautiful book. It was bound in leather. It was a, a beautiful yearbook. And I opened my book. All right? It's all in alphabetical order. And I scrolled down towards the R's and sure enough, I find my name, Gavin Rogers. All right? Great. And sure enough, I find my quote. One cross plus three nails equals four given. I was the weird Christian kid back in college, like I am now. All right. Then I noticed, all right, next to my name, looking back at me, was not my face at all. All right. I'm coming here for healing, and you lot aren't even giving me any sympathy here. Looking back at me was not my face. All due to an administration error, they'd put someone else's face with my name and my quote in my yearbook. The memory of me forever would be someone else's face. I was absolutely shocked. I expected to see my own face, of course, next to my own name, but I ended up seeing Patrick Wharton looking back at me. <laughs> Patrick was a nice enough lad, by the way. Uh, complete opposite to me, though. He was a grade-A student. He was a genius. Um, I wasn't, all right. And I quickly, I thought, I'm not even in my own yearbook. So I scrolled past the R's and went to W's. I thought, maybe they've got me and Patrick mixed up. Sure enough, there was Patrick's own face next to his name, as you would expect. And I was absolutely gutted. Like seven years I've been in that school. So five for secondary education and two for sixth form. And I thought, what's my legacy going to be to these people? Absolutely nothing. 
Like some people this year, this summer, will open a yearbook after 10 years and, and look for Gavin Rogers and see nothing. All, right, all the effort winning that Christian Union in sixth form, all the effort playing on the sixth form football team, um, all the effort put into that place was all for nothing. And the pain was as real now as it was back then. But I'm glad you've helped me to get this off my chest. All right, let's move on with this sermon. All right, the reason I tell you this story, all right, it does link to the Bible, I promise, okay, is that I bet that's how the disciples were feeling in that moment. Okay, they'd spent three years with Jesus, traveling around, witnessing miracles, seeing blind eyes open, seeing food multiplied before their eyes, just the most amazing things, being in the presence of Jesus. They'd seen it all, their life had a purpose, they were to be the first Christians, the ones who would carry on that mission that Jesus had started. Their legacy was right there in front of them, it was supposed to be an exciting time. And then Jesus died, a horrible death, torture and pain. But three days later, just like he said he would, he rose from the dead. Like amazing joy struck the disciples. And then, nothing. We have this story of the disciples just going back to their normal lives, probably feeling forgotten about. Like in the same way that I opened my yearbook and felt forgotten about, they probably went back to fishing and thought, was all of this for nothing? Was there actually any point of us spending three years with Jesus? Let's just go back to fishing. Let's just go back to what we know. Let's just go back to the comfort. Can you see the picture here? Can you kind of picture the mindset of the disciples? Because I think it's important. We need to understand how the disciples were feeling to fully appreciate the lessons that we can learn from this chapter. All right? There's some really good lessons we can learn in this. I've just got three of them that I'm going to look at today, all right? We're going to look at three points. Expect success, love the church, and receive forgiveness. That's where we're going this morning. Okay, so point one, um, expect success. See, I absolutely love this chapter, all right? For me, the book of John ends in the perfect way. As you know, the book of John was an evangelistic letter. It was a a letter written to point people towards Jesus. And the book ends with this story, which I think is about mission. The book doesn't just end with the glory of Jesus' resurrection, but it goes on to tell us what that resurrection should lead to in our lives, what it means for us. Let me explain. See, in their disappointment and confusion about what to do next, the disciples head back to the comfort of their old life. Instead of pushing on and starting their mission and making disciples, they retreat back to the comfort of what they knew. That's relatable, isn't it? Part of our human condition, when we face uncertain times, when we face confusion, we'll resort back to what we know best. So they throw their nets out and they start to fish. And then we see this amazing lesson about mission. In verse 3, we see that the disciples caught nothing. The thing that they knew best was fishing. And they obviously weren't very good at it. They caught nothing. And then Jesus calls out to them from the shore. He tells them to put their nets to the right-hand side of the boat. And what do we see? A miraculous catch. So big that they couldn't even pull the net in. And this tells us that there are completely different results between disciples doing things their own way and finally doing things Jesus' way. The results are clear to see. Jesus' way led to success, and their own way led to disappointment. 
And I believe the purpose of this miracle being recorded at this point in the book of John is to show that if we follow Jesus, if we look to him in terms of mission, if we look to him in terms of reaching others, instead of going our own way, we can expect success. Check out this quote. This is from a Bible teacher from the 1930s. Uh, I love a good old school quote. It's a guy called E.C. Hoskins. He said, A Christian gospel ends properly. Not with the appearance of the risen Lord to his disciples and their belief in him, but with a confident statement that his mission to the world, undertaken at his command, under his authority, will be the means by which many are saved. It's all about him. That's so important. If we think about our mission, if we think about the things that God has called us to do, go and make disciples of all nations, then our focus needs to be on his leading. Our focus needs to be on his leading. We can't do it on our own. Like, if this mission was down to us, all right, and our ability to see people's lives transformed and our ability to to lead people to a better life, then we would do a terrible job, wouldn't we? But if we focus on him, being led by him, teaching about him, then we can see great success. We should expect success. Jubilee, do you expect success? When you have those conversations with your friends about God, do you expect success? When you invite your friends to Alpha, do you expect to see them saved? Do you expect to see their lives transformed? When you go about your day-to-day life um, as an example of Jesus, do you expect to see God move in people's lives? Because you should. Trust in him. As this miracle shows that when we trust in him, when we're led by him, we can expect success. There'll be success in that. God can transform lives. And he will do it. He's so faithful. And look, the way to see success or to start having our attitudes changed about evangelism and reaching out is to be people who go. All right, look at this story, okay? Jesus commands them to throw their net to the right-hand side of the boat, all right? The disciples didn't even question him. They didn't weigh up the positives or negatives of his command. They didn't give their expertise about fishing. No, they were obedient and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. He said, put your net to the right-hand side, and they put their net to the right-hand side. Guys, this simple act of obedience is something that we can learn so much from. Because one of the arguments we can have as Christians, all right, is that we aren't seeing many people saved. We can say things like, I wish our church was growing. I wish more people would come to know Jesus. I wish there was more new believers. Sometimes we can sit in church sometimes looking out and being uh, being disappointed at a lack of fruitfulness. We all do it sometimes. I've done it. Sometimes I've had these internal disappointments. You know, why aren't we seeing more people saved? Why isn't God doing more? But as Phil Moore says in his commentary in the book of John, we can't complain about a lack of fruitfulness if we haven't learned to go. We need to swim among the fish who need catching, the lost who need saving, the sick who need healing, the world which needs redeeming. We need to be people who go, that's so true. In the same way that the disciples physically had to put their nets out to unearth this amazing catch, we need to actively go in order to see people saved. And this isn't at all a criticism, by the way. I actually think that we do this amazingly in our church. 
We reach out in amazing ways. Our football team, our work with Open Door, reaching out into Eshwood Square in Middlesbrough, our sparklers guys, our Alpha courses. We do this a lot. We are a going church. We're a church of goers. Well done for that. But I think as individuals, we can always do more. We can always do more. Jesus calls us to make disciples. And my challenge for you this morning is to ask you, who are your non-Christian friends? Who are your family members that you're praying for that need Jesus? Where are the places that you're going and shining light into? Do you believe you can't answer those questions easily? Then seek God's. Hear him. Hear his prompting. Hear his command and be obedient to that. And as you do that, as you reach out, as you spend time with your non-Christian friends, as you pray for your family members, expect success. God's a faithful God. Expect success. Look, the second thing we can learn from this passage is just how important it is to love the church. See, we see this amazing scene in the story where the disciples sit down and have a bit of fish and bread for breakfast with Jesus. It's not my choice of breakfast, by the way. Give me Weetabix or bacon sandwich or chicken nuggets or something any day. Okay. But as they enjoy breakfast together, Jesus turns to Peter in verse 15 and says, Peter, do you love me? Bearing in mind that Peter messed up massively a few days back in one of the most heartbreaking stories of the Bible. He denies knowing Jesus three times. Jesus asks him, Peter, Do you love me? And in the same way that Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter responds with a massive, Yes, of course. And Jesus' response, If you love me, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is massive. See, this is a pointer towards the importance of the local church. I don't need to tell you this, but church is so, so important. We have to believe that, don't we? The church is so important for the world today. The church is so relevant for the world today. The church is so important to us as Christians. And sadly, this is something which a lot of people miss. Like, they can think that, that faith can be a personal thing. Like, I don't need to be part of the church. Things are cool between me and God. My faith's great. I even heard of a big church in America recently that have launched an app so that people can be part of their church without even leaving their own home. Now that's appealing, but it's not right. (laughs) You can be in bed on Sunday morning and be part of this church. It's scary. Some people just don't get the importance of local church. You get people who can be amazing at sharing faith, amazing at leading people to know Jesus, but then who aren't able to follow it up because they don't get local church because they don't connect to a family. And all that does is lead people to stumbling early on in their faith. If they're not part of a church, they're going to end up stumbling. And that's why we always encourage people to get stuck into the church. That's why we're always banging on about getting involved with community, getting involved with church. I remember my own personal story. I became a Christian after attending a youth group run by YFC, a Youth for Christ, which is a, like a parachurch organization that works across a number of churches. And uh, I attended this youth group that wasn't really attached to any church. We kind of loosely, uh, loosely used the bin- building of this Methodist church. But for me, that youth group was my church. For me, 
those 10 guys in that youth group, that was my church. I never dreamed of going to a Sunday morning meeting in the church that we used. I never dreamed of getting to know any of the adults who happened to be part of any of the churches. I never dreamed of getting involved in serving in the local church. No, for me, the youth group was the church. And then I became a Christian, and suddenly I realized that I needed more. I needed to be connected to a body. I remember my youth leader sitting me down and using that, uh, you know, that age-old analogy of a piece of coal. And when you take a piece of coal out of a fire, it gets cold really quickly, doesn't it? But if you leave the coal in a fire, it keeps its heat for ages. And he was saying, as Christians, we need to gather together. We need to be in community. We need to encourage each other. Iron, sharpening iron. And that changed my life. I got involved in local church, and it changed my life. You know, Jesus was saying this to Peter. He was trying to get the importance of local church into his head straight away. And this conversation with Peter clearly had an impact on him. We see um, in Peter's own letter that he wrote years later, 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Jubilee, it all needs to start with local church. We're called to make disciples and not just converts. Keep that in mind. When you reach out to others... Try to help them to get involved in the community of the church. Look at the bigger picture. Our faith isn't just a personal thing that we keep to ourselves. It needs to be part of something bigger. You need to be part of something bigger. Let me challenge you. Do you love the local church? Do you love this church? Jesus does. He loves it as a bride. Are you passionate about the people in this church? Do you care for them? Do you look out for them? Are they your family? Look, Satan likes to work hard to isolate and disconnect us from community. Because when he, when he does that, he can pick us off. He can take us out. If you're not part of the community life in Jubilee, then please get involved. And look, I'm not just saying go to midweek meetings. They're important, yes, but there's loads of other ways you can get involved in being part of the church community. You can get involved in service. You can get to know people better. You can invite people around for dinner. It's so, so important. If you see people in the church who are isolated, support them. Chat to them. Get to know them. Jubilee, let's be a church of people who look out for each other. Let's care for the sheep. Look, if you'd like to know anything else about community life in Jubilee, if you'd like to know how to get involved, then fill in one of the purple cards. Fill in one of the purple cards and, and say you'd like to get involved. We'd love to get in touch with you and connect you into community. It's so, so important. Look, and this isn't just new people to the church. This can be people who've been part of the church for many years. Connect in. Don't be isolated. Look, if you're feeling lonely and disconnected and not part of things at Jubilee, that's probably because you're isolated and disconnected and not part of things at Jubilee. Get involved. Get involved. Love the church. And look, I'm deliberately challenging you. I'm not trying to be annoying or anything like that. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just deliberately challenging you because I understand the importance of what Jesus was saying to Peter. I understand it. Care for my sheep. As a leader of this church, I'm passionate about people being cared for. I'm passionate about people finding community, about people finding friends, about people finding home. That's what I want for this church. Psalm 69 says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Let's be people who follow that through. Let's be people who are consumed with passion for God's church here in Teesside and all that he can do through it.
Let's be consumed with passion for the mission of the church and the churches that we partner with both locally and internationally. Look, if you've lost your passion for the church, if you've lost your love, if you've lost your zeal for the church, then I'd love to pray for you at the end. I'd love to pray for the end. Don't lose your passion for the church. Jesus is so clear about that in this passage. And look, the final thing we can learn from this passage, and for me, this is the most important message, all right? It's the most personal message, and it's the one that I want to leave you with today, all right? It's receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. If you've got your Bible with you, just have a look at John 21, all right? Have a look at the subheading right before verse 15. What does it say? What does it say? Jesus reinstates Peter. The significance of this is massive. All right, I just want you to think about Peter for a second. All right, this is an amazing guy in the Bible. I really like him because he's just like me. He says and does stupid stuff. He's a bit of a hothead. He puts his foot in it often, but he loves Jesus. Think about him on the night of Jesus' trial when he denies knowing Jesus three times. Like my heart breaks for him because he loved Jesus so, so much. But in that moment, he messed up. He made a mistake. He messed up. I don't believe for a second that his passion for Jesus changed. I don't think for a second that his love for Jesus reduced at all. I just think that he made a massive mistake. He got scared and messed up. I imagine Peter being there as Jesus appeared to his disciples in Jerusalem, resurrected, and still being heartbroken that he'd messed up. That he'd denied him. Like, not really able to join him with the celebrations as his disciples celebrated Jesus being alive because he was still disappointed. Like, read carefully the start of our passage for today. Whose idea was it to go fishing? It was Peter's idea. Jesus had called them to a new life. They weren't fishermen anymore. They were fishers of men. But in his shame and disappointment and confusion about messing up, he went back to his old life. He tried to go back to how things were. He tried to fix his shame and his guilt in the only way that he knew how, which was going back to his old life. <coughs> like, let me ask you, have you ever messed up big style in your walk with God? Have you ever made a massive mistake? Have you ever got into the wrong, wrong thing, watched the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, been in the wrong relationship? Have you, have you ever let sin back into your life and messed up big style? Have you ever denied knowing Jesus like Peter did? I know I have. How does it make you feel? It consumes you with shame, doesn't it? You feel awful. You feel unloved. You probably try and run from God when you mess up. I know all this because I've done the same thing. I've messed up loads of times. We're all human. But the amazing thing about God is that failures like you and me are the exact type of people that he can use. So, so Peter went back to his old life. He almost seems as if he was trying to put this whole Jesus stuff behind him. That's what it looks like to me. But the amazing thing about this story is that the exact place that Peter thought he was trying to go to get away from God is the place where God ended up meeting him. The exact place he went to get away from God is the place that God ended up meeting him. Hey, take some comfort for that. Take comfort from that today. Jesus comes and meets us when we're at our worst. 
you know, when we run from God, when we mess up, when we slip back into our old life, Jesus meets us right there. Like, he comes down in a pit with us and he asks us the question, do you still love me? You may have been a Christian for years and years and years, but just recently your walk with God's changed. You're not feeling close to God anymore. You maybe don't even call yourself a Christian anymore. But God comes down and asks you the question, do you still love me? Do you still love me? We don't need to fix ourselves. We don't need to make things better ourselves. No, he comes and meets us where we are. Jubilee, don't try and fix yourselves. Don't try and fix your difficulties. Don't try and fix your problems. Let God fix you. If, uh, if I get the band up, please, that would be great. Look, I really believe that there are people today who just feel so far from God. Either because you've never let Jesus into your life in the first place, or because you've messed up big style. Look, God wants you to know this morning that you can come to him even for the first time, or back to him if you feel like you've messed up. In the same way that Jesus reinstated Peter, he forgave him, he can do the same for you. Come to him this morning. Bring all of your worries, bring your situation and come to him. Look, in this story, Peter jumped out of the boat, wrapped his garment around him and made his way to Jesus. He made that move of coming back to God and you can do the same this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for a number of years and you feel like things have gotten away with your relationship with God or whether you've never given your life to God. You can come back to him this morning. Don't feel like you can't come back because of your disappointment in yourself or your disappointment in a situation or because you don't feel good enough. Don't let your disappointments rob you of your victory in the future. Come back to God. Accept his grace. Accept his forgiveness because he forgives us again and again and again. His grace is so good, Jubilee. His grace is so good. If you come back to him and turn away from the disappointments of your life, from the areas of difficulty, from the areas of sin, he can and he will meet you. He can and he will meet you. Look, I, uh, I watched a documentary on Friday about Billy Graham on Netflix, the greatest evangelist of all time. Travelled the whole world preaching the gospel. Seen literally millions of people come to know Jesus and this documentary was saying that his message was so simple every time. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And I thought to myself, I'm preaching on Sunday, and I never say that. I never tell people I need Jesus. Guys, you need Jesus. Joy, if you feel distant from God at the minute, if you feel disconnected, you need Jesus. I'm going to do something old school, all right? This can be a personal thing that, as we sing in a minute, you might just want to sit where you are in your seat and ask God's forgiveness for areas you might have messed up. All right? You might want to just sit there and just ask God to come and forgive you. Spend some time reflecting on his goodness and his amazing grace. You might want to do that. Okay, for other people, I think God wants us to do something a little bit more public. All right? And we don't do this very often, but I feel like if you, one, have never given your life to Jesus, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, all right, I want you to be bold because this is hard. And I feel awkward even saying it. But if you've never given life to Jesus, I want you to come to the front when I ask you to and, and I'd love to pray for you. Okay? If you've never given, if you've never given yourself to, your life to Jesus, I want you to come to the front. In front of everyone. I want you to come to the front and receive prayer. All right? Hey, if you've maybe felt a, a massive wall in your relationship with God, 
If you maybe feel like, I'm not walking with God at the minute. I'm so distant from God, and I want you to come to the front as well. All right, we don't do this anymore, but hey, we're going back to the 90s, all right? I want you to come forward, all right? And I'd love to pray for you, okay? What I also want is I want the ministry team to go out to the sides, please, okay? And if you've been part of this church and you feel like you've lost your zeal for the church, if you feel like you've lost your passion for Jubilee, if you feel like, hey, I don't even know if I belong here anymore, if you feel like you've lost your passion, I want you to go out to the sides and, and, and receive some prayer. Look to God. God doesn't want us to be isolated. He doesn't want us to not feel part of things. God wants us to feel part of things here at Jubilee. So if that's you, I'd love you to receive prayer as well. All right? Okay, let's stand, please. Ministry team, go to the sides. All right? Thank you so much that this story shows that we can't run from you, God. You pursue us. You come to us, God. You come and meet us where we are. You come and meet us in our shame. You come and meet us in our sadness and our disappointment, God. I thank you so much for that. And I just want to pray this morning, God. If there's anyone here this morning who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, Lord, would this be the moment that their life changes forever? Would this be the moment where their eternal life is decided? Where they get eternal life with you, Father? And Lord, I want to pray for people who maybe feel like their relationship with you is just in tatters at the minute who feel like they were walking with you once so fruitfully before, but just feel like it's all gone wrong. God, if there's people like that, then I want to pray, would they come back to you this morning? Not by putting things right, but by receiving your amazing forgiveness, God. Would you reinstate Peter's this morning, I pray, Lord. Amen. All right, we're going to sing, and then after we've sung, I'm going to ask guys to come to the front if you want to give your life to Jesus.